When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. REMAX agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit REMAX.com or download the REMAX app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. Whether sitting next to someone on the subway, mingling at a wedding, or chatting around the water cooler, chances to make conversation and new friends abound in our lives. But how do you meet and talk to people without being awkward about it? My guest today has spent over three decades teaching people from all walks of life how to make small talk and socialize. His name is Don Gabor, and he's the author of several books, including the one we're talking about today, How to Start a Conversation and Make Friends. We begin our conversation discussing where Don sees people have the most problems with starting Starting and sustaining conversations, as well as whether these issues have or haven't changed over the last 30 years. Don then walks us through how you can make yourself more approachable for small talk, why body language is so key in this area, and the best way to give a handshake. We then discuss how to break the ice with someone you've just made contact with, how to handle rejection, and how to remember people's names after you meet them. Don then shares how to keep the conversation going by offering up and homing in on certain keywords, and we end our conversation with how to end a conversation. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is conversation. All right, Don Gabor, welcome to the show. Well, I'm happy to be here. So you are an expert on social skills. You've been your career teaching individuals to be better conversationalists, how to network, how to make friends. I'm curious, how did you get started in the world of social skills? I moved to New York in 1979 after having a, a career in teaching, and and I started teaching a, a workshop called How to Start a Conversation. It became clear that a lot of people were having difficulty just doing what I thought came natural. And so my career as a as a communications trainer and author really started way back when I started with that workshop and it's just grown from there. So where do you see uh, people having the most trouble with starting and carrying on conversations? I think there's some nuance to that question because in some situations, some people are very good with their conversations and then the same person in a different situation can feel awkward and uncomfortable and just really, you know, ill at ease. And so by that, to give you an example, there are some professionals where people speak for a living, you know, professional speakers, actors, attorneys, entertainers in, in various, you know, fields. But you take them out of that structured environment and many of them feel very uncomfortable. So that example kind of illustrates that people can feel comfortable speaking in one situation and uncomfortable in another really based around what's expected of them and kind of their roles. And so what, where I think people have the greatest difficulty is they're sometimes really not sure exactly how to go about 
bridging the the gap between a situation where they're good at communicating and one that they're not so good. And this is one of the the ways that over the years as I've been teaching and writing about the subject, one of the the ways that I figured out that it's really pretty easy for for people to master the skill is to identify what they're doing where they're communicating confidently and then apply that with some adjustments to the situations where they they don't feel as confident. And then that way they can kind of master some of the skills or bring up some of the levels of of their skills that that they're good in in one situation and need some um, improvement in another. So I think the another answer to your question, Brett, is that a lot of times people, I think, are focusing in the wrong direction when they're trying to communicate with people. And and so a lot of times they're focusing inward and they're they're worried about what people are going to think of them and if they're going to say the right thing and and so on. And I mean I'm not saying to not think about what you say, but if you worry too much and think inward too much, no matter what situation you're in, the communication's probably not going to be particularly effective. That's like anything uh, in life and sports, right? They tell sports psychologists tell golfers like don't think about what you're doing too much because then you'll just choke. Yeah. I mean, that's sort of the the mentality, I think, of, you know, muscle memory. And if you practice enough, then then let your let your abilities just take over. And I, I think that's that's a good point and it's a good analogy for communication skills. And that's one of the things that I tell people, you know, who, you know, they say, well, I'm kind of shy and I don't really like to talk to people that much. And I'm not really sure what to say. And you know, I don't want to say the wrong thing. They say, look, there's a lot of opportunities to practice interacting with people where, you know, there's no risk. It's not like, uh, you know, you're in a business meeting or you're in a job interview or you're out on a first date and, and you really do want to make a good impression. I mean, there's no question about that. But there's a lot of opportunities that almost everyone has during the course of a day or a week where you have opportunity to interact with people, practice eye contact, practice opening a conversation, starting it from scratch without any, you know, anybody initiating it or sending out a signal that says, you know, it's okay to talk. So if you practice some of these, the basic skills, and these are basic skills, some people just pick them up naturally, or they learn them from somebody, you know, in their home or a teacher or, or friends. And other people, it doesn't come natural. I mean, some people are natural athletes and some people are natural musicians and so on, but they still have to learn the skills to support that natural ability. And I believe that communication skills are, you know, similar in that way. So practice, like in a sports analogy, you know, applies to the conversation skills as well. So you've been at this since 1979. Uh, The first book you published (laughs) was in 1983. It's how to start a conversation and make friends. I mean, has anything changed since then? Have you noticed new issues pop up that people are experiencing, new concerns people have about starting conversations, or are they pretty much the same? It's a great question, and I'm asked that a lot. And over the years, I have revised my book. In fact, it's gone through two complete revisions. And so the answer to your question is kind of twofold. Some things just don't change. You know, people's nature 
just don't change. Maybe they do over a couple million years, but not within the last you know 30 years that I've been working at this uh, subject. But what has changed, uh, a technology certainly has changed, and that's made a big change you know, in how people communicate. And I think people's expectations have changed and social norms have changed, what's acceptable and what's not. So the what, what I think people need to understand, and I think what, what, what I try to communicate when I'm doing a workshop or, you know, doing an interview like this or, or writing a book is that, that, you know, people really, I think, are looking for a couple things from one another. One is they want your attention and they want your approval. And in, in the article I read on your website, which I thought was very good about, um, narcissism in conversation people do want attention the problem is if they only want their own attention and then they're talking too much then that's not good which is what your article the article on your website points out but we do seek other people's attention we do seek other people's approval so in face-to-face communication body language plays a very big role in in approval, smiling and eye contact and the tone of your voice and those kinds of you know, body language characteristics that are part of a conversation. But in online communication, you know, through texting and emails and, and any kind of electronic communication, other than if it's a visual, body language is, is absent and sometimes voice is absent. So people have to make adjustments for, for that. Another thing that a big change between how we communicate now, and it's probably going to change again in the next, you know, five minutes or five years or, you know, it's shorter, is that if we're having a conversation, you and I are in, in a club or a, a meeting, a business meeting, or just at a party, and we say something to one another, somebody says something and, you know, it's kind of like off the wall, or maybe it's uh, confusing. Our face will kind of go, hmm, you know, or you'll, you'll make a little comment or some, some signal will be sent that something didn't quite land right or maybe some confusion. And then we would correct it. Oh, well, maybe I, let me rephrase that. But in, in electronic communication, and I'm using that as the example of how things are different between, you know, when I started this on this path, this career path, and now, we really don't get that. So a lot of times what happens is you write something in an email or a text and maybe it's clear, more often it's not because of the speed that we're writing, but it never, we never have an opportunity to, to see how the other person is influenced by it or how they, how they are receiving that message. So if it's unclear or inappropriate or any uh, number of other, maybe not effective kinds of, uh, the responses that we're looking for, we don't have an opportunity to, to correct it. So, you know, miscommunication. So I would say those are the a couple of things that, you know, the differences between now and then communication-wise that, that people need to be aware of. Have you noticed people being more socially anxious lately than, say, maybe back in 1979, or is it about the same? I think people, it's normal to, to have some anxiety when you walk into a room full of people that you don't know, it's just normal. It's normal to have a little bit of anxiety going out 
on a date. That's there's always plenty of anxiety there, or going for a job interview, or or just sometimes just going out with friends. People will feel a little bit uncomfortable. So anxiety is normal. It's is it more now than it used to be? You know, I, I I'm not a psychologist or or, or a, you know somebody who can really you know, comment on, on the anxiety of society. I know I'm feeling pretty anxious at times, but it's not so much about talking to people. It's just on what's going on in the world. And I think that's a a kind of a point that we also need to take into consideration when we're chatting with people. Some people just feel comfortable walking into a room full of strangers or more comfortable. I'm, I'm like that. It doesn't bother me that much, although I, I have a little bit of anxiety, but I know other people are very anxious. So part of my goal when I do talk to people in that kind of situation is to bring the anxiety level down. And the way I do that is by keeping the conversation light, not getting too deep into any particular topic right away, and and try and, you know, make a little light uh, humor of what's going on around just so that people know it's not a big deal to have a conversation. And that seems to work for me in most of the situations, and it can work for most other people too. Well, so let's talk about starting conversations. And the first thing you talk, you recommend, um, if you want more conversations to happen, is you have to make yourself more approachable. So what can people do to make themselves more approachable? You know, this is one of the really important parts of communication. And what I like to observe when I'm out talking to people are who's who's sending the first signal to communicate i'm going i'm the kind of person i usually will take the initiative just because i'm my nature is a little bit more outgoing but not i don't always i'm not always the first one to send the signal i'm looking for signals and so to make yourself more approachable you want to do two things you want to send a signal and it, we're talking now in a situation where people can see you. So it could be at the gym or at a social event or at work, you know, any of those, or in the family situation. And those signals really are body language. So eye contact, smiling is the most important thing. Now, not a big ear-to-ear grin like the cat who just ate the canary, but just a gentle, friendly smile. And, and eye contact I believe is almost precedes that. And if you watch people in which I do, and we're walking down the street, it it's eye contact. That seems to be the very beginning way to send the signal that you're willing to communicate. So you want to look for those signals and men, I think that those signals are coming to them and they're missing them. Many men miss the signals that women send to them that say, please approach me. The women have been taught, and this has changed. That's another thing that's changed over the years. Women are a little more assertive when it start when it comes to approaching men, but many are still going to hang back, but they are going to send a signal, eye contact, a subtle smile, and men need to, to look for that. But the men need to send the signals as well. So body language is really your first line of, of approach to be more approachable. And I will say categorically, crossed arms send 
the opposite signal. So if your arms are crossed, folded in front of your chest, that says body language wise, and you may not feel this way or people may not feel this way when they're doing this, but the, the signal is clear, clearly interpreted as please, I'm really not interested. So unfold your arms and put them anywhere except in front of you, in front of you, you know, you're folded across your chest and, and you'll have a more approachable body language signal. Yeah, you, you talk about the this acronym soften, which sort of help you kind of help you think about those things like smile. You talked about that open posture, no no closed mm-hmm. arms, uh, forward lean. I guess indicate indicates you're interested. I think the T is touch, and E is eye contact, and then what's N is nod, right? Right. Um, forward lean is something that I want to just touch on very briefly, and what that means is just to to lean a little bit towards the other person. And and what that shows is it shows that you're listening. So I go back to what people want from you. They want your attention. They want your approval. So if you show and then you're demonstrating physically that you're interested in what you know he or she has to say, then the person feels can feel more comfortable. However, if you move too close, then it could feel like you're encroaching on that that space. There's also cultural elements to to softening in body language, which people need to be aware of, men and women. Some cultures prefer a little distance, a little more distance between speakers. Some cultures prefer or are more comfortable with, you know, closer proximity. So, you want to be sensitive to that. But leaning forward slightly shows that you're, you're interested. And touch is another one of those elements that have a cultural application with shaking hands and some cultures shaking hands is 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 part of the culture other cultures shaking hands is is less comfortable particularly between men and women but here's what i encourage people to do and i think this is pretty much standard practice in the united states and in most western countries is to offer your hand in handshake and and shake hands web to web and that that means to shake hands. There's a the place between your your forefinger and your thumb. That little area is called the web of your hand. The web between those two digits. And and you want to kind of focus on getting that other person's hand web to web. And the way you do that is just as you're just as you're getting ready to make contact to shake hands, and you've got eye contact with the person. Just glance down at his or her hand and kind of aim your hand at the web of your hand at the web of the other person's hand. And chances are you will, you know, shake hands web to web. Don't squeeze too hard, but don't, don't, you know, don't do the bone crusher and don't do the wet limp, wet fish kind of handshake either. So a moderate handshake, strength handshake, grip, web to web, at the initiation of your conversation or very close to the beginning and at the end is, is another important way to send uh, signals that you're open. Wedding season is coming up. And if you are preparing for the big day, I know wedding planning can be really intimidating, but finding the perfect suit shouldn't be. Indochino makes it easy to get a fully customizable suit right from your home. Don't just wear any suit on your big day. Wear a custom made-to-measure suit. Suit started at just $499, which is about the same price you'd pay for an off-the-rack suit at a department store. And they've also got custom made-to-measure shirts 
starting at just $89. So I've talked about my Indochino suit on the podcast before. They've been a longtime podcast sponsor. It's navy blue. The measuring process was super easy. They got these video guides you follow. You'll need another set of hands to help you out with that. But the really fun part is customizing it. Got to customize how I wanted the lapels on the jacket, the pockets, the lining. I went no pleats on the pants on this suit. A lot of fun. And then in a few weeks, you have a made-to-measure custom suit sent directly to your door. When planning your wedding, get a suit as unique as you with Indochino. Go to Indochino.com and use code MANLINESS to get 10% off any purchase of $399 or more. That's I-N-D-O-C-H-I-N-O.com, promo code MANLINESS. All right, so if you're like me, you've probably signed up for a whole bunch of stuff that has a recurring monthly fee. Subscriptions to newsletters, subscriptions to services that you use online, uh, could be a streaming service, something like that. You sign up for it and then you forget about it. And then every month you're getting charged and charged and charged and they just all add up and you have a hard time trying to figure out where did I sign up for this? I don't know where this is coming from. Well, let me tell you, there's an app that can help you with that. It's called Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I had a chance to use Rocket Money and it works. You connect your account to it and then it goes through your accounts and helps you find those recurring subscription fees that maybe you forgot about and then you can cancel them and save yourself a bit of money each month. Stop wasting money in things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash manliness. That's rocketmoney.com slash manliness, rocketmoney.com slash manliness. Daylight saving time is starting up again. The goal of this is to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting our clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, but if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There is only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ziprecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to help you find qualified candidates. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you can reach more of the right people. ZipRecruiter smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. Spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash manliness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Picture that thing you've always wanted to learn. All right, you got that in your head? Now picture learning it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. That's what you get with Masterclass. This year, learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors, and many of these instructors are former AOM podcast guests. You can learn negotiation from Chris Voss, leadership skills from Jocko Willink, how to master your habits with James Clear. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee, so there's no risk. So recently, I went through the Masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. A lot of useful information in there. Talked about the value of known in negotiation, how to use your body language and speech patterns to get your best out of a negotiation. Very well done. I really enjoyed it and got a lot out of it. Right now, listeners of our podcast can get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash AOM. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash AOM. Masterclass.com slash AOM. Check out the masterclass on negotiation with Chris Voss. Okay, so you've made contact with somebody 
now we're at the, now this is the awkward part. How do you break the ice with someone to get the conversation going? The easiest way to break the ice and the most natural way to break the ice is to focus on your surroundings, where you are and, and comment or ask a question on something that both of you can relate to in your immediate surroundings. So, for example, if you're at a business event uh, and you're networking and you're sitting down or you're waiting for a workshop to start or you're waiting for the waiting for the speaker to to begin, you know, you turn to the other person and you use a just a completely typical greeting. Good morning. How are you this morning? You can introduce yourself in a business situation. You can introduce yourself right away. There's just no problem with that. And then ask, are you a member of this organization or have you seen this speaker before? Or you could say, this meeting is really, I, I've been a member of this organization for da, da, da. And, you know, the speaker, I'm really looking forward. So you can make a comment or ask a question and, and introducing yourself early on in any situation is usually best. In a business situation, you can do it right away. In a social situation uh, where the the rules are more flexible and the people are going to probably be coming from, you know, maybe different businesses or backgrounds or, you know, you're going to have a little broader demographic of people there. You can still do the same thing, but you want to do it in a little less um, uh, direct way. So if you're at a party, for example, and what I do when I go to a party is I'm, I, I gravitate towards the food table because I'm a f- I like food and I like to you know, nibble and I like to cook. And you know, so it's a topic that I can, I can you know, talk about. And many people feel the same way. So I will say, hmm, I wonder how this this uh, guacamole is, have you tried it? Or, and then I might say, you know, so we might talk a little bit, yeah, this is pretty good. And so, oh, by the way, you know, who do you know here at the party? Or how, how did you, do you know the host? Because most people, if they're invited to a party, they get invited by somebody, usually a host. And so that's another way. These are, these are very typical and common ways to start the conversation. And I encourage you to use those kinds of icebreakers as opposed to hey you want to hear a funny joke about a or or try to make some you know kind of corny awkward comment that is supposed to be funny but falls flat so using the situation that you're in if you're in your neighborhood you're walking around maybe looking for a place to to eat a restaurant and you see you're looking at a menu in the window and somebody comes out of the restaurant Say, excuse me, you know, I'm curious, how was your meal? I've never eaten here before. So these are just, you know, there's a hundred examples I could give of these kinds of ways to break the ice. The main point is ask a question or make a comment about something that the people that you're trying to communicate with can also react to. And with good body language and a smile, you know, in a nice friendly tone to your voice, the conversation's probably going to at least get started. No, I think that's great advice. Uh, an example from my life where this is someone was started a conversation with me because they were noticing the common environment. I was uh, at 
my son's jujitsu practice or whatever. And I was sitting there and this woman was sitting next to me and I was reading the Nicomachean ethics by Aristotle. And she looked over and she says, are you reading that for fun or for school? <laughs> and I'm not in school anymore. I was like, well, I'm reading this for fun, believe it or not. And she's like, wow, that's interesting. Like, I've, I've wanted to go back and read some of those things I read in college. And we had this conversation about you know, great books you read in college and reading philosophy even after you're done with college. And it all started with that question that she noticed I was reading the Nicomachean Ethics at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Well, that's a perfect example. And that, that example, I think, applies to T-shirts and tennis rackets and, you know, hats and different kinds of clothing. I mean, it, it just, it goes on and on. See, once again, you know, what do people want? from you. They want your attention and they want your approval. So what that woman did in your case, Brett, was she showed interest in what you were doing. You were reading a book. This was a convenient way for her to break the ice. It was very natural. It was easy. And you responded really, really well. It also gave her an opportunity to tell you that what she thought you were doing was was good. You know, like she said, she, are you reading that for fun or for school? And, and when you said, well, you know, I'm not in school anymore for fun. And she said, yeah, I think it's good to, you know, I want to go back and read some other things too. So this is a, was a way of signaling a form of approval about what you were doing. It's so easy to do. And let me just point one more thing out about this whole topic and and why I think it's so important. And, and one of the things that you had brought up, or I think, in the beginning, and, and we might discuss a little bit more about how things have changed conversationally, is that, you know, in days past, maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago, maybe more, people had more opportunities to interact with one another. And today, it seems like there's a, a lot more people that are isolated by choice, and sometimes just by circumstance. But in your neighborhood, where you live, there's so many opportunities to connect with people. But more often than not, people will just kind of walk down the street and go into their apartment or house or wherever they live, or drive into their garage and go in through the you know back door and just kind of hide out. And And I think what I try to encourage people to do is to interact with the people in their neighborhood for a variety of reasons, not in a, in a forced way, but in a natural way. So if you see somebody walking down the street and you know that they live in your general area, you send out a friendly signal, start with hello, how are you today? And just start from there. And then after you see that person a couple of times and say, you know, you live right down the street. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, Hey, by the way, my name's Don. Or my name, you know, you introduce yourself, and and it's important. What that does is it 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 creates the beginning of a social interaction that can lead to you know more friendship. It can lead to more contact within the neighborhood, and it can make you feel more comfortable where you live by knowing who's around you. And so. Conversation has, has a, I think, a major role to play in, in fighting the isolation that a lot of people complain about in their lives today. They, they, 
they feel lonely. They think the internet is a is an option for them, and it can be, but in my view, it really doesn't replace face-to-face communication and what you actually can get from that communication, the the connections that you make with people. Well, let's say you reach out to someone, try the icebreaker, you ask something, notice something in the, the, the common environment, you try to strike a conversation, but there's some rejection. They just they're they're obvious they're not interested. How do you handle that? So I think that's why I think it holds that's one thing that holds a lot of people back from even making the attempt. They're like, oh, what if they reject me and it becomes awkward? Well, you're absolutely right. Rejection is a big fear that people have, and nobody likes to get rejected. And 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 people say, well, I don't take it personally. Well, you know, we do take it personally. I take it personally. And I think that's just a normal reaction. However, if you let the fear of rejection prevent you from reaching out to people, then, you know, this, this is where I say to people, I said, look, what, what do you have to lose? If, if you, if you approach people the right way, chances are they're going to respond. Not everyone will. I mean, it just, that's just the reality. And the reason you think, well, they're rejecting me, but they're not, that might not be the exact reason why people don't respond the way you think. And let me give you a couple of quick examples. Sometimes people are just very fearful in general, and there are people who are afraid to interact with strangers for any number of reasons. And some of them are very good. And I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't, you know, suggest for anybody to do anything that that makes them feel like they're in danger. So sometimes people just are told, don't talk to strangers. And you're a stranger and I'm not going to talk to you. Okay. So that's their their frame of mind, let's put it that way. Sometimes people actually don't hear you, or maybe there's some element that you have sent out a signal, you said hello, the person didn't respond, but but you don't really realize that maybe they they didn't hear what you were saying, he or she didn't hear what you were saying, or maybe the language, there's a language issue, or more often than not, I don't know about where you live, but where I live, half the people are walking down the street with earbuds, which I don't think is a great thing, because that's a signal that says, don't talk to me. So take your earbuds out, folks, if you want to talk to people, because earbuds are are telling other people that you're not available for conversation, which is, of course, just the opposite of what I encourage you to do. And finally, sometimes it takes a couple times to approach people to let them feel that you're okay to talk to. But in the end, if somebody really doesn't want to talk to you, and there are people that are just, they, they don't want to talk to anybody. Okay, so what are you going to do? You're going to twist their arm? You're going to talk to me or I'll break your arm. You know, I mean, <laughs> you just have to live with that. That's just the way some people are and move on and don't let that prevent you from reaching out to others. So during this initial icebreaking phase, you're probably going to learn the person's name or hear it. How do you remember someone's name after they've introduced themselves? Because that's the problem a lot of people have, like in the middle of the conversation, they're like, oh man, I just forgot this guy's name. He told me five minutes ago. Right. Well, remembering names is a big part. Well, introductions are a big part of conversation. And that's why I say do it early in the conversation. Here's, Here's... and I didn't make this up, but I use these techniques and, and I'm, I'm not, you know, perfect at it. That's for sure. 
but they do work in many, most cases. First of all, don't say to yourself, oh, I'm never going to remember the person's name, so I'm not going to bother. Think of the person as the most important person in the room or at that moment in your life and focus on the moment of introduction. Don't think about what you're going to say next. This is where most people, the problem lies is they're, they're not listening to what the person's saying when he or she says you know, the, his or her name. They're thinking, what are they going to say next? So don't think about what you're going to say next. Repeat the person's name. If the person has an unusual name or a name that is easy to misinterpret, ask them to clarify or spell the name. Or is it Marie or Maria? And so by repeating the name, you hear the name, you repeat the name, you're sending a couple of signals. One is you care enough to want to remember the person's name by repeating it. So that makes the person feel good about the exchange. You, you, you have more likelihood of remembering the name by repeating it because your brain has etched a little pathway up there. And then you actually hear yourself say the name. So you have three inputs. The person's saying his or her name, you repeating the name, and you hearing the name. So you've got three repetitions, and memory and repetition come together. Now, my other, now that's pretty standard stuff. And another trick technique that I use is, and this works a good seven to 10 out of 10 times, about 70 to 80%, is I think of somebody I know with the same name. Now, and the person that I think of, it could be a celebrity, it could be a sports figure, it could be a good friend, a member of the family, a kid that I grew up with and haven't seen in in 25 years. Now, the what the reason that this works, I don't know. But for example, if I met you, Brett, at a party, I might, the first person that comes to my mind is a baseball player whose first name starts with Brett. So that's that's who I might think of. And then I don't even know you know, you may not look anything like this. If I meet somebody named Fred, I think of my father because that was my father's name. If I meet somebody named Sophie, I think of a cat that I used to have named Sophie. Now, I don't tell the person, oh, I'm going to remember your name because I had a cat named Sophie. But this technique, it's it's strange, but it works because there are a lot of people with common first names. And it doesn't always work, but oftentimes it does. And one last thing, you want to repeat the name in the conversation, not over and over and over. But once again, it's sending the signal, I remember your name. It's helping you remember it. But what happens when you don't remember the person's name? And this, you know, it just kind of flies by and you didn't grab it that first two seconds. You say, how do you spell your name again? Tell me, tell me your name one more time, please. So again, it's it's kind of admitting that you didn't get it the first time, but it's okay because they'll say, "Well, it's 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 Don." And if somebody calls you by the wrong name, you want to correct them. It's okay. That's a little bit uncomfortable. You know, sometimes people will, you know, my name's Don, but they'll say Dan or Dom for short for Dominic. And I said, "No, Don." Like you know. You know, Don Juan DeMarco or, you know, the dawn of time, but not spelled that way. So those are techniques that I use that work and they can work for just about anybody. So like a lot of times when you go to a party or an event, 
one thing that people do to sort of ease their way into conversations, they'll find someone they know and then start talking to them and then sort of use that person as a way to springboard into other conversations with people they don't know. But sometimes you go to an event or a party where you know no one. So what's the advice there to get a conversation going when you don't know anybody at the place you're at? Well, that's a question that I get asked a lot. And the way I answer that is I do a little bit of homework. And depending on the on the situation, if it's a business event, usually I will go and make contact. I will introduce myself to the people who are responsible for the event. More often than not, they're the ones that are going to be greeting at the door. So you're, you're going to have an opportunity to meet people right away if it's a more formal event. If it's a social event, there's a, somebody who presumably invited you to the to the event. Although not necessarily, maybe you've signed up on a you know a, an event site and it's a meetup and and you just really don't know anybody. So what I do is I look for a friendly face. So I'm always looking for those signals of openness. And you can spot them. They're really easy to spot if you're looking. And those are the people that I will go up and approach. And I mean, I won't walk right up, but if I see a group of people talking, that's okay too. But I'm going to observe and I'm going to watch if there's two or three people chatting together. And I'm going to watch if there's a real tight unit there. In other words, they're they're very close together and there's no space for a person to join that conversation. I'll probably look for another, either an individual or a group to join because that closed conversation, maybe they're talking about, you know, some personal topic or a work related, you know, you're gossiping or something. And I probably might not want to get into that conversation anyway. So, I'm looking for openness. And then I just, you know, it's like going fishing. You got to cast out and see if you get a bite. I'm going to go to where there are people. I will not go to where there are no people because who are you going to talk to if there's nobody there? Plus, here's another tip. If you approach people and just start a simple conversation, not monopolizing the conversation. And this is a big problem, but just interacting with questions and comments, balancing the conversation between talking and listening and balance is the key here. What's more important or equally important is that the shy person who, you know, is kind of hanging back and looking to see who to talk to, he or she will see you communicating with other people. He or she will see you moving from an individual to a group to another individual. So by you demonstrating your openness and your desire to communicate, other people see that and they will feel more comfortable talking to you if you approach them or they might even feel more comfortable approaching you. So once again, when you walk into that room full of strangers, look for people who want to communicate and simply say, you look like a friendly guy. (laughs) How's it going tonight? Are you here for the workshop? Are you here for the food? Are you here for the music? Whatever it is. And I love the idea with the the group thing, you know, look for the open people who are showing that they're open to a new person and just say, hey, what brings you here? Mm -hmm, Exactly. People want to interact. We're social animals. Now, granted, some people are, you know, more open and, than others, and some people are more outgoing than others, and that's all true. And and that's something that we all have to, if you want to be a good communicator, you have to be able to communicate with all types of 
individuals, not just people who communicate like you do, which is usually the kind of people that we like to communicate with. So when, when you see people at a party, here's what I do at a party or at a networking event, and I'm with a group of people talking, maybe two or three or something like that. And I'm, I'm look, I'm, we're, we're chatting about business or whatever the topic of the event is. That's, that's what we're chatting about in our group. But I'm also looking around outside the group, and I'm looking to see if there's somebody who's looking at the group, sending that signal that said, you know, I, I'd like to join, but I'm not really, I don't want to butt in. Because that's how a lot of people feel. And what I do is I, I establish eye contact with that person. I smile. And then I take a very subtle step back from the group to open up a little bit of a space. And this is body language. It's all body language. I'm not saying, hey, pal, come on over. You know, the water's fine. But I'm sending the signal that says, you know, if you want to come on over and join us, you're welcome. And once again, more often than not, People pick up that signal and and uh, they will then be heading into the conversation. And that's that's what we want to do, particularly at a networking event. That's what it's all about. So let's say you start the conversation. How do you keep the conversation going once it started? Because you can you can there's only so much you can say about the weather or whatever. So how do you, any idea, any tips on keeping the conversation going? Oh, sure. That's really easy. Although a lot of people think that's the hardest thing. Well, they think breaking the ice is the hardest thing. Keeping the conversation going is is easy if you're listening. If all you're doing is talking, then it's not really a conversation. It's a monologue and people are going to start you know, looking for ways to exit. They're looking for the door. So, what you want to listen for are key words, and key words are words that are nouns and verbs that you know words that paint pictures of people doing things or or working on things. For example, projects or vacations or or like your book was was a key word. The title of your book, uh, that anything that you can see a picture or that or relates to some kind of action that people are doing. And the reason that you want to listen for these things. While you're talking about, let's just say subject A, the event or the host of the party or the music or whatever it might be, you want to listen for the other words that are, are being communicated in a conversation. And you want to drop those words from your side into the conversation that will lead to additional topics. For example, let's say you're going to an event a music event. I'm going to to a jazz club tonight with my wife, and we're going to see a jazz group at a at a club in in New York City, and we're going to be sitting down next to some people who we have no idea who they are, and you know we'll probably say hello, and you know before the show starts, and we'll have a little bit of chat about the music, but what I'll also probably just drop into the conversation is that I met. The piano player at who's in this group tonight at the gym. And all of a sudden now, oh, Jim, where, where do you go to the gym? Well, we live in Brooklyn. See, so all these words that are part of the conversation about the music or the venue that we're at, which is in the basement of a barbecue restaurant, 
See, all those words, basement, restaurant, barbecue, Brooklyn, gym, these are all called key words, and they'll all be part of a conversation. So then the way you change the topic is you say, you know, by the way, I heard you mention earlier that dot, 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 and now the conversation just takes a little bit of a turn. And then you're on to topic B or topic C, and you do the same thing. And pretty soon, what what is, what are you looking for? Are you looking just to fill space and time, or is there? Do you have another goal in in this conversation? And my view is, I have an, I have goals in my conversations. I want to find out if I have anything in common with the person or people I'm talking to. Sometimes I do. More often than not, I do. Sometimes I don't, but usually I can find a topic of common interest. So by referring to a topic that you heard earlier in a conversation, what are you doing? You're sending that that signal again that said, I'm listening, I'm paying attention to what you told me because I remembered something that you said, and I'm kind of curious about that particular topic. Now, it could be a topic where you are... You have a particular goal in mind. Maybe you're looking for um, for a job, or maybe you're looking for gigs, for more work, or maybe you're looking for a new place to live, or maybe you're looking for a great place to take a vacation. These are all goals that most people have at one time or another. And by talking to people and listening, when these topics come up, you can then move your conversation to those topics. And then it says to the person, you know, I really appreciate what you've told me. So that's, they're looking for your appreciation and your attention. And so you're fulfilling a variety of goals by just having a simple conversation. So you recap, so you're going to, you're going to listen for keywords that the, the person you're talking to is saying, so you can go back to, mm-hmm. but you're also at the same time sending out signals, your own keywords so that you're, you're giving that's them right. a chance to like pick up on something. Right. And by you referring some of the key words, while you dropping in some of the keywords into the conversation, it tells the other person indirectly what you want to talk about. And this is very important. It goes back to one of your questions about, you know, when people feel uncomfortable in conversations because they don't know what to talk about. So if you've dropped in a key word about, I don't know, food or gardening or whatever it might be, it's a pretty clear signal that that's a topic that you're probably willing to chat about a little bit. And maybe you have a common interest. Maybe you are a gardener too, and then you're growing tomatoes like I am. And we might say, well, how is your tomato crop this year? And so this makes other people feel comfortable when they're talking to you. And you want to remember these details so that if you see the person again, then you can, you can make a reference to them. Maybe you're not going to see them again. You know, more people say, oh, I'm never going to see this person again. So why should I bother with all this stuff? That's the biggest mistake you can make as far as I'm concerned. So this is the way to keep the conversation going. It's the way to feel that the conversation wasn't a waste of time and just making, you know, idle, you know, filling space before an event. And it gives you practice on on how to interact with people in a way that makes them feel good about you and makes them feel good about themselves so that maybe the next time you meet, it's going to be easier and you've established some of the 
the foundations of building some kind of a relationship, which is what all this can, you know, lead to and goes back to the, you know, the, how many people feel isolated in their lives today. What do you do if you're in a conversation where you're, you're sending out those keywords to the person, but they're not asking any questions about you, right? It's like, and you're just asking all the questions. Yeah. It's not, and it's not that they're rejecting you. They're, they're actually enjoying talking. They'll answer any question you have for them, but they're like not taking part in that back and forth where they're not in, asking you any questions. Any advice there? She just be like, oh, okay, well, this person's not going to ask me any questions. Well, this kind of goes back to the article on your on your website with the narcissism in conversations, and and that is a problem. And people, there's some people that are just, you know, they're just so wrapped up in themselves that they just don't get it, you know. And and you can't, I mean, you can, but it's not going to do you any good. You can't say, "Oh God, you, you know, you could ask me a question, and I'd love to, you know." So you can't be that overt because that's that's a chide and people usually don't take kindly to being you know criticized that way so what do you do well you have a couple choices you can just grin and bear it which sometimes you have to do with friends because they're just some friends that you know and i've got a couple friends like that and you know they just very rarely ask what's going on and they just talk about this in you know their lives but you can also counter that by saying, well, look, you know, I got, there's something I've been meaning to tell you about, you know, what I've been doing lately. And I, and so then you can interject some topic into the conversation, but you've got to be able to talk a little bit about it and why it's important to you and, you know, what it is that, you know, you, you, you want them to know about it and be careful about asking them an open-ended question in response to, you know, something that you're doing, because then the ball will just bounce back into their court. An open-ended question is a question that, that evokes a more detailed response. So you can say something like, Hey, have I told you about the new book I'm working on? They say, no, but I don't really care. <laughs> which Some people will say, you know, or, or, uh, have you seen that new, that new movie, you know, that's out or have you heard this? So those are closed ended questions that are going to get a short answer and then say, wow, it was really pretty interesting, but I'm not going to tell you, you know, the whole thing, but here's, here's kind of what it's about. And they might say, what is it about? So you have to, to counter that nonstop talker, you have to take the initiative and just share a little bit more information. And if the person interrupts you say, wait a second, wait a second, I'm not quite finished yet, but don't, make your story so long that the other person is going to kind of begin to lose interest because they're not going to have that much interest in what you have to say anyway, because they want to talk about themselves. So that's just kind of the way some people are. And the reality is you can't change other people, but you can change your, how you interact with them. All right. So we've successfully broken the ice. You've kept the conversation going by asking follow-up questions, listening to those keywords, but now you got to exit the conversation. And that's another people get awkward about that. It's like, well, it's going to be awkward if I mess up the exit. So any, any advice on exiting a conversation with grace? Sure. And, and exiting the conversation is as important as, as entering it. You want to do it the right way. If you, the wrong way is to say, oh, well, got to go. Bye. Because then the person's saying, oh, I, 
And so how does that leave the other person? No, I must have said the wrong thing. I'm boring. The other person, no, he doesn't like me. Ah, forget it. I don't like him either. So you don't want that to happen. So here's how you end the conversation the right way. First of all, you restate something that the person told you briefly. You restate it in a, in a way that shows him or her that A, you were listening and that you enjoyed the conversation. For example, yeah, it was really interesting hearing about your, you know, your new business. I think it's a great idea and I'd love to hear more about it. Maybe sometime, you know, the next meeting, you can tell me how things are going. So what that's doing is by recapping the conversation briefly in a sentence or two, you're A, showing the person that you were listening, B, that you appreciate what he or she said, and three, most importantly, to end the conversation, is you're sending what's called a closing signal. So, people can accept that you can end the conversation. What they don't like is when it's ended abruptly. That's what leaves them uncomfortable. So, that closing signal is gives that person saying, oh, okay, I think this conversation is about to close. Then you use the person's name and say, you know, Brett, it's really been a pleasure talking to you. I'm really glad we got a chance to meet. There's a couple of other people I want to say hello to before the speaker starts. So I'm, I'm sure we'll get a chance to chat again soon. And you use his or her name and nice, friendly, warm handshake, good eye contact, a smile, and off you go. Perfect. Well, Don... Speaking of, Don, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about the book and your work? Or not the book, but you have multiple books. Yeah, I've I've written a bunch of books on the topic. And you can see them all at my website, dongabor.com. That's D-O-N-G-A-B-O-R.com. And, you know, some workshops that I've done over the years. And also, a lot of my books are published in foreign languages. And so, they're all up on the website, too. But you can also just go online to any of your online, favorite online bookstores or go to a real bookstore or a library and look for how to start a conversation and make friends. Or just Google my name, Don Gabor, and you'll find me. Well, Don Gabor, thanks for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Brett. My guest today was Don Gabor. He's the author of several books, including the one we talked about today, How to Start a Conversation and Make Friends. It's available on Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. Also, check out more information about Don's work at his website, dongabor.com. Also, check out our show notes at aom.is slash conversation, where you can find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic. Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Check out our website at artofmanless.com where you can find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles we've written over the years on things like social skills. we got a whole series on social skills, uh, so go check that out. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the Art of Manliness Podcast, you can do so only on Stitcher Premium. Head over to stitcherpremium.com, use code MANLINESS to sign up for Stitcher Premium to get a free month trial. Once you're signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android or iOS and start enjoying ad-free episodes of the Art of Manliness Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think would get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. And until next time, this is Brett McKay reminding you not only to listen to the AON podcast, but put what you've heard into action. When it comes to buying your first home, everyone has questions. Can we even afford to buy a house right now? Well, I need to negotiate. How do I even negotiate? Luckily, a REMAX agent has answers. Hey, Brian, those are really good questions. They are? Thanks. It's my first time buying. 
I work with first-time buyers all the time. I got you. Remax agents have more experience than other real estate agents. Visit Remax.com or download the Remax app to find the right agent. The right agent can lead the way. Each office independently owned and operated. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.